Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello, and welcome to This Week in Production. I'm your host, Art Aldridge, and I'm talking remote production on episode 54. Before I get to this week's topic, I want to encourage you to send me your comments and feedback. Please email thisweekinproduction at gmail.com or call me on my Google voicemail. I'm not going to answer, but it's, it's a voicemail box that you can leave a message. 601-564-TWIP, T-W-I-P, 601 564 8947. Like I said, I'd love to hear from you comments, suggestions, good, bad, or whatever. You want to yell at me? You want to tell me I suck? Please, I welcome it. Okay, let's get back to this week's topic. I've been doing remote production for way longer than we've had COVID going on. But in this COVID era, remote production has really come to the forefront for many people. Most of my shoots are now done remotely, except for last week, and if you heard episode 53, I traveled to San Francisco to do a job on-site in person. But most of my work is not traveling. It's not getting in front of people with close proximity. It is trying to figure out a way to capture content remotely. It can be as simple as an iPhone and we use some special software called the Mimo Reporter, and there's another one called Larynx, and you can stream from your device. You can go to Facebook, you can go to YouTube. For me, I bring them into my uh, control room. I've talked about it on many episodes. I use a piece of software called Mimo Live. I can record in uh, a ProRes format or H.264, I can stream it, I can edit it, whatever I need to do, it all comes into my facility and I can then disperse it as needed. The trick is, is to get the best quality you can with the least amount of trouble. And the least amount of trouble is usually the biggest criteria for my clients. I've been on many, many calls where we talk to someone ahead of a potential recording session, what we're calling remote capture these days. And yeah, sure, we know how to do that. I can make my phone do this. I can have an iPad. I have a laptop. They seem very good at using their devices and their technology. Yes, I've got good internet connection at home. And lo and behold, what happens, you know, I won't say nine times out of 10. I will probably say what happens seven times out of 10 is that they don't have headphones and we get feedback or they have a poor internet connection or they can't open up the website because they don't know how to copy and paste the URL into the supported browser, which in my case is usually Chrome or Firefox. So there's always struggle. So the number one concern in remote capture for my clients is make it easy. So with that goal in mind, I set out to build 
a very portable kit that I could ship to someone. All they have to do is follow a few simple instructions like plug this wire in here, put this camera there, you know, turn on this switch and it should be ready to go. So I've been testing, I've been playing with different pieces of equipment to come up with a kit that is simple to use, small, portable, lightweight, and I can ship it around without a lot of hassle. The kit that I came up with first, and there's an asterisk there, first, the kit that I came up with first was built around an iPhone SE. And what I did is I bought an iPhone SE unlocked with no SIM. So it's not a cell phone. It has to be connected to Wi-Fi. But the camera in the front is, is 1080. And the camera in the back is, you know, capable probably of 4K. And that's more than adequate for recording and streaming. 1080 is still good enough for the internet. And the iPhone makes a really nice, small, portable video camera. The trick is that you have to make the audio sound good and you have to make the picture look good. So I built the kit around a ring light. So I go out and search for ring lights. And you can't just go by, well, what ring light is the best? Because usually the ring light that is the best is no longer available for purchase. Because everybody is buying ring lights and microphones and mounts and everything that you might need to do remote production. Everybody is doing it. It's hard to get the pieces. I search for a ring light that is A, available, and B, suits my needs, which is color temperature and size and um, price in the order. So I go to B&H and I find a ring light and I get it and I test it. The light is meant for an iPhone to sit in the middle. It comes with a little cold shoe mount that will hold an iPhone. I get the light, I have the phone, I start doing my testing. The mount is terrible. It is not sturdy, it is not solid, it is not really easy to use. It feels, you know, cheap and chintzy and I'm not thinking that it's going to be stable enough to use for a recording session. So back to B&H's website, and I start looking for mounts that A, are in stock and available, and B, will suit my needs. It can't just be a straight iPhone clamping mount. I need the mount to have a cold shoe on the top. Why? You may ask, why? Or do you need a cold shoe on top of your iPhone mount? Well, that's to mount the microphone. So I ordered two or three mounts that seemed like they might work in my situation. Get the mounts, put them together, put the phone in there, attach the mic. One's really nice, but it doesn't have the appropriate cold shoe at the top. It has a quarter 20 hole, which I thought I could put my own cold shoe on, but then it just gets complicated when I'm trying to send it out as a kit and I have to explain to somebody that this piece needs to be, you know, threaded into here without stripping it or without having it be too loose. So on to mount number two. Mount number two is the right weight. It is the right 
sturdiness. It has the cold shoe built in, so we have a winner. Now I have to go and find the appropriate microphone. And this is going to vary based on circumstances. The circumstances are, are they going to wear a wired mic? Are they going to wear a lapel? That's probably the best quality that I can get. And there's lots of choices. Rode makes a very nice mic with a eighth inch mini jack that you can plug into a phone directly if it had that port. Of course, the iPhone SE has a lightning only port with no headphone, so you can't do it that way. So I need to look for a shotgun microphone that A, as you could probably guess, A is in stock and B doesn't break the bank on the price. And again, Rode is got Rode has some very nice microphones in that category, but they're too expensive. Some of them are not available. So I find a off-brand mic on B&H that seems like it is worthy, has some good reviews, looks very similar to the Rode microphone. So I give it a go. It sounds pretty good. It has a very cheesy plastic shock mount, but it seems like it will do the job. It fits into the cold shoe. It has removable eighth inch connectors on the back of the mic, comes with a cable. So great, I have the microphone and it sounds pretty good. Now I have to get the mic into the iPhone. And of course the iPhone has a lightning connector. Lightning connector, the phone comes with a lightning to headphone adapter. But if I plug the microphone into the headphone adapter, I don't have any way to do headphones. And I don't want to do Bluetooth. I don't want to get into that level of complication. So I'm looking for a device, a way to have separate microphone and headphone in and out of the iPhone. A lot of this is trial and error, but a lot of this is just stuff that I've known to work in the past in other situations. Apple happens to make a USB interface with a lightning connector on one end and USB-B on the other. So that adapter I put into the phone and I bought three USB to mic headphone splitters. So that'll let me plug a microphone into one port and a headphone into the other. Not knowing which one is going to work best, I ordered three of these headphone microphone splitters from B&H. And again, we test, we try each one and we listen and we evaluate and all of this goes on for several days as I have to sometimes reorder parts, replace parts, get something different. And it's just that dance of order, wait, receive, test, don't like it, try something else, or you just hedge your bet and you buy a bunch of things and hopefully some of them work. And I've done both of those scenarios with mixed success. The trick is process your returns ASAP. Because if I don't, I usually wind up sticking it on the shelf and I never return it. Microphones, headphone adapters, USB adapters, mount, shotgun mic mount, ring light, check, check, check. I tossed out the crummy stand that came with the ring light and I found uh, I found in my, my garage a Matthews medium stand, which is really just kind of the standard that I use for a lightweight stand. 
So now that's going to be the stand that holds the ring light. The ring light holds the phone. The phone holds the microphone and the headphone adapter. I include a couple of pieces in the kit for cables, uh, extensions for microphone, extensions for headset. And then I preload the apps that I need on the iPhone to do the recording. I document all the settings. And now I have to put the kit into a travel case. So now I search for a Pelican or an SKB or something that's not going to be too big because I am going to be sending this out to clients. So you can't just send a steamer trunk full of stuff and have them, you know, haul it. I mean, they just don't want to deal with it. So the lightest case that I could find that will hold the stand, the ring light, the phone, all the bits and pieces, get that, get the foam cut, figure all of that stuff out. I spend like two weeks getting this kit ready. Seems like it's going to be a winner. So we have the first client that's going to get the kit. I send it out. I print out the instructions. I put the UPS return label in the kit. Instructions on how to unpack it and set it up and pack it back up. And we send it off. And two weeks go by and I don't hear anything. And I call my contact, the client's, you know, person. And I'm like, did he, I know he got the kit because I tracked it. Are we going to do a session? Yeah, he's, he's just going to find a window of time. You know, when I was building this kit and trying to price it out, I anticipated that it was going to take some days, two or three days, five days, maybe if it had to go to California five days to come back, you know, figuring it was going to be a week to, you know, get it scheduled and then do it. So I priced the kit rental, knowing that it was going to be out for at least two weeks, sometimes three. And now the kit's been out for four weeks and we don't even have a date. And I don't know if it's going to be able to be build for all those weeks? I'm guessing no, because they don't really understand. The messaging wasn't communicated clearly to the recipient that the kit is not just there indefinitely. So after five weeks, I just got off the recording session with the client. So how did it go? Well, it went pretty well. Not perfect, but it went pretty well. The client was able to configure the kit without too much effort. He didn't even read the documentation, which kind of burns me, but that's to be expected. RTFM, right? RTFM? Nope, no one reads the manual. And the session connected to me properly. We had audio. We didn't have good monitoring. I provided a set of wired headphones, disposable headphones in the kit. Client didn't want to wear them, visually I think. Wanted to use his own AirPods. And I think I had a little problem with the audio because I think the AirPod took over as the microphone when he connected it. Can't be positive about that, but that became a potential trouble spot. So I think what I'm going to do in Rev 2 of the kit is I'm going to put a little wired speaker in the kit and it'll mount to 
the ring light or the stand with a little clamp. And it'll, it uses a battery, but it's not Bluetooth. It plugs in on 8th inch mini. And I'll just include that cable and instruct them just to turn that speaker on low. And they should be able to hear without having headphones in. And we know then we're going to get the camera shotgun mic coming in on the audio in. Now the question is, will he be able to pack it up and ship it back without damaging any components or leaving any components out? Don't know the answer to that yet, but I am curious to see how that works. The other part of the kit that didn't work so well, and I think it was just me in the programming of the device, the app that we're using, I told you was Mimo Reporter, and that app has the ability to record in camera as well as stream. And I thought I enabled it to record automatically because the idea would be that we have the streaming session, but we have a backup, maybe a 30 or 40 megabit recording in H.264 or HEVC on the device. And I could get that file sent electronically or I could pull it off when the phone comes back to me physically. And that's probably the best quality that we're going to have to work from. But in this particular session, that recording didn't work. It didn't record or he didn't know that it recorded. We kind of looked quick, but he had to get onto another call. So I couldn't really trace that back a little bit, but I'll see when the phone comes back to me, whether it's in there. So in version two of the kit, I will make sure that it records internally, that we have a speaker set up. Anyway, I spend all this time building the kit for this one. I didn't build the kit for this one client in particular, but I knew that they would be using it. I figured it would have purpose with other clients and other jobs. And I did get another inquiry from a pharma company about doing a doctors, you know, talking about a new drug therapy kind of spot. And it, but this was going to be public facing web. And it was two doctors having a conversation. There were going to be multiple sessions, multiple doctors. So they were talking about multiple kits. I'm like, okay, well, we've got this one kit that we sent out. We haven't tested it yet because I hadn't had the session <laughs> at that point. But I knew the kit was ready to go. We get the green light for the job and we're prepared to go down the road to record these doctors and we're getting set to deploy kits, like literally to ship kits out the next day. And then we hear from the, the pharma ad agency person that they need to read the script verbatim. And my head kind of spun around for a minute and I said, script verbatim <laughs> whoa 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 stop the clock and that is indeed what they said and i i i stumbled like i am now and i didn't know what to say i said well unless they're actors and i've done plenty of farmer with actors playing doctors nothing wrong with that just put a little disclaimer on there um you know, they're not going to be able to memorize it unless they're actors. No, no, no. It has to be these doctors. I'm like, this is going to be really, really bad because I don't, I can't, I can't send a teleprompter. 
Like the kit is not built for a teleprompter. The app itself needs to be in the foreground. That's just the nature of an iOS device. This particular one, it does not run in the background. You can't have a teleprompter piece of software on the phone and run the live streaming app. Doesn't work that way. I even reached out to the developer. I said, hey, um, can you give me a teleprompter in the app like today? And they're like, that's a good idea. We'll put it on the wish list for the future. I'm like, strike. I just didn't have a way to deploy a teleprompter in this scenario. You know, there are plenty of micro prompters that are based on iPads, but, you know, to send that out and expect someone to be able to set it up with a big, big enough tripod or a stand to make it all work again is clunky for that client experience. They all want it to be easy, right? It's that old adage, good, fast or cheap, pick two. It's the same thing. Like, you know, you want the client experience to be good, but if you can't make it simple enough, oversimplified, you know it's just going to fail. So sending a prompter out was not an option. So I racked my brain. They're like, well, we'll just put another device next to the phone. And I, you know, said no, politely. That's not going to work because their eye line is going to be nowhere near the camera and it's going to look like they're reading. It's going to be awful. And we all we all have seen that and I avoid that at all costs. And then I started to think a little bit and then I had an idea. The software I use is Mimo Live, which I'm a big fan of. You've heard me talk about it if you're a regular listener. But one of the nice things about this Mimo Live software is that when I do a call, they call it a Mimo call, which is basically a web RTC connection between two devices, the, the host control room and the remote capture uh, point, I can send custom uh, return video feeds. So if I'm doing four people in a group and I only want each of the remote guests to see the interviewer, I can only, I could send the interviewer only as the return video instead of like the program where they're going to see themselves in it. I have flexibility there. So I thought to myself, self, what if I had a teleprompter running as an input to Mimo? And I used that input to send down the WebRTC as the return video. Then the one doctor, instead of seeing the other doctor, like a conversation, which it wasn't going to be anyway, but uh, instead of seeing each other, which was the original plan, they would each see their own scripted response. So I would basically have two teleprompters running in my control room, and I would send one to... Dr. A and the other to Dr. B, and they could just read. But, but, and there's always a but, isn't there? The but is the iPhone is too small to be a teleprompter screen. It's just not, it's not going to work. It's too small. And again, this is where my head starts getting a little, you know, stretched out. I said, well, let's think about an iPad. Okay, 
Let's think about the iPad. iPad's a bigger screen. Great. We can run the Mimo Reporter app. Great. The problem is that the Mimo Reporter app, the way that you see video in the apps, you have two boxes. You have the camera view, which is your view as the reporter, and then you have the return video view. And when I do it with like desktop computers, I can switch which view is big and which view is little. The programmers of the reporter app thought that the reporter would want to see themselves bigger so they can make sure their shot was framed right, that their hair looked good or their teeth were clean, no broccoli. So they hardwired the controls so that the big window is themselves and the little window is the return video. So even if I wanted to use the iPad in this example with the reporter app, I couldn't because you can't make the return video bigger. It's still too small. And I said to myself, well, what about using the browser? I'll use, uh, it doesn't work in Safari very well on the desktop or on the mobile. So I said, well, let's try Chrome. There's a Chrome browser for iOS. And in the browser, you can make either window return or self be the big window. Wouldn't you know it, the Chrome browser on iOS runs the same WebKit code that Safari runs. So the Chrome browser on iOS is also not compatible. That's why they have the app. So I'm, I'm stuck. I'm stuck at this point because I can't use the phone because it's too small. Can't use the iPad because I can't reverse the thing. And I can't run the browser on either device because it's not supported. So what are the options? Well, if you know me, you know that I'm a pretty true blue Apple person. I just like Apple OS. I know Apple operating systems. I know Apple devices. So I try to use iOS and Apple computer stuff everywhere. But in this case, I might have to use an Android. Oh, no. So I start researching Android devices, tablets. And man, that is a big bag of hurt right there. But after some investigation and again, seeing what was available and what I could get my hands on right away, I decided to get a Samsung Galaxy Tab S5e. I think that's the actual name. Rolls right off the tongue. Tab S5e, which is basically the size of a 10 inch, 10 and a half inch iPad. Almost the size, and I'll tell you why. I say almost. I get the device, and it's really completely foreign to me as far as how to use the Android operating system. It's everything is just off enough that I'm struggling to find things like where the settings are and the controls and all these things. We start testing with this new tablet. Now I'm basically back to square one. The client, you know, doesn't know, doesn't care other than, you know, get this done and ship out the kit. So I'm up against the wall for time and I have to get this kit ready to go. 
So I'm testing. I have to test new audio interfaces. Of course, it's not the same. iPhone uses Lightning. The Android uses USB-C. So I have to get new adapters. Now I, I have to get a different mount. I didn't have a mount for an iPad, but I knew of one that I had tried a few years ago called the Padcaster. The Padcaster is basically a metal frame with a rubber insert for different size iPads, and it's got quarter 20 and 3 eighths mounting holes all over it, all around it. And I said, this would be perfect because I can get a threaded adapter for the stand. We can put the, the Padcaster frame in there and the Android's probably the same size as the iPad, right? They're both 10 and a half inch. And not even close. Just different enough that it will not fit into the molded rubber housing to hold it into the padcaster. And this really just crushed me because this was the perfect mount for this, this tablet. I tried modifying it. I thought about doing Velcro. At the same time, I'm on Amazon now looking for different ways to mount it to a quarter 20 stud. And again, what was available, what I could get. So I have mounts coming, which have not arrived yet. I ordered another insert for the Padcaster for a smaller device, thinking maybe it would fit this one. Strike two on that. Do I go with Velcro? Do I go with um, some kind of a elastic band? None of those are going to work well. And again, it's getting complicated. And then, of course, the kicker to all of this is that the ring light that I used in the first kit, the prototype kit, the kit that went out, I could no longer get from B&H. It's back ordered till August unknown. Great. Perfect. Time to start research all over again. So anyway, in this quest for remote capture and simplicity and and smoothness. It's just been one headache after another. So stay tuned for the part two and maybe part three of how all of this ends. I hope to have my first kit back. I'll be building this next kit over the next week before I have to send it out. I will share the details with you as I get them. For now, thanks for listening. See you next time. Do you have something to say? Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on This Week in Production. Thanks for listening.